This is a hard one for me to read. I've taught Sunday school for over 30 years, the little kids, and it's so hard to not make the storm sound like this and things, so it's a hard one to read today. <laughs> one day, Jesus said to the disciples, let's go over to the other side of the lake. So they got into the boat and they set out. As they sailed, he fell asleep, and a squall came down on the lake so that the boat was being swamped and they were in great danger. The disciple went and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we're going to drown. He got up and rebuked it, and the wind and the raging water and the storm subsided, and all was calm. Where is your faith? he asked the disciple. In fear and amazement, they asked one another, Who is this? He commands even the wind and the water, and they obey him. Jersey. Well, Pastor Phil is taking some much-needed R&R. I don't know how much you can relax with three young kids, but I'm sure he's uh, making an effort. <laughs> I'm going to keep my coffee up here with me because spring is wonderful, but it also brings all my allergies. I'm the guy that loves winter because I can breathe great all winter, and then spring comes, and yeah. So we're in Luke, and we've been in Luke for, for a while now, and we're going to be there for a little while longer, um, but it's a fantastic book to spend a lot of time in. It's, it's the, the, the longest, really, account of of Jesus and his ministry. It's the, only, uh, it's the only book of the Bible that is written by someone who's not a Jew. Uh, and it's written by a doctor. Uh, he had a benefactor named Theophilus and was pretty much commissioned to write this book. And what Luke did, he's the super sleuth of the Gospels, is he went and found eyewitness accounts and then compiled them in this, in this book. And so what you're getting are, are first-hand accounts of their time with Jesus. And it's also, and I think we as, as Western culture love, that it's chronological. Uh, so, so we're getting A to B to C, and it's not all over the place. And, uh, and I know that I, I find that uh, easier to read maybe than, uh, than some of the other Gospels. So we're in the book of Luke, we're in chapter 8. Does anybody remember what Phil preached on last week? What was going on? Anybody? This is always the hard one. They say that just the act of thinking of something you can't remember is good for you. Uh, but he speak on, on the parables, if I remember. Now you got me second-guessing myself. Yes, the parable of the sower, <laughs> if you remember. So Jesus is, is teaching and right now he's in the area, the Galilean area, which is basically this area around a big uh, sea, okay? Uh, a, a, large, a large sea in the, in the Bible. Uh, it, it calls it a lake, but my mind goes, a lake is fresh. And that Galilee is, is a sea because it's salty, but you know, now, I'm, now I'm splitting hairs. So he's in the region of Galilee, and he's teaching, and crowds are following him. All the time. There are people with him all the time. He, he has picked 12 disciples out of a group of what we know to be about 100 kind of 
uh, followers that, that are, are, are really, really into what Jesus is doing. And out of those, he picked the 12. And have you ever spent time in crowds? It gets exhausting. Now, some people really love it. They love crowds and they, whoo-hoo, and they get excited and, and energized. I like people, but after a while, I'm just like, okay, let me go uh, mow the grass or something. Um, <laughs> that's right it's coming it's coming so jesus is teaching he's healing he's performing miracles he's constantly with people all the time now this region where they're at in the galilean area is actually where a lot of the disciples are from it's kind of their their home turf so when jesus says to them, let's, let's go across to the other side of the lake. Most of these guys, this is what they have done their whole life. They have gotten in a boat every day, and they've gone fishing. And that's their livelihood that was passed down to them, that was probably passed down to their fathers, and this is what they do. So this story, to me, is all the more significant, because if I were out on a sailboat, it could be a calm day, and it would be a disaster. Because I know nothing about sailing. I can row and I can, you know, paddle a canoe and, and, and that's about it. So the disciples, they are not unfamiliar with this lake, this, this area, the weather, and, and with, with boating. So the first point that I want to make this morning... And I believe that the, the, this story is here for this reason. Is, is one, we learn that Jesus is fully human. Jesus is fully human. And to some people, you're thinking, well, we know this. But this is a hotly contested thing in Christendom in, and in the world but Jesus is fully human, and, and I know this because of this. It says, one day he got into a boat with his disciples, and he said to them, let's go across to the other side of the lake. And I believe the reason he's doing that is because he's tired, right? He, I need a break from all these people, no matter where he goes. You know, he can't go to a hotel and hide from everybody. Uh, because these towns, and this is something I never think about, the biggest town he may stumble across might have a 100 people. You know, seven to eight families. Some of these towns, what they call a town or a village, might be 20 people. And so when you hear about uh, crowds, like in the feeding of the 5,000, for there to be 5,000 people in one place is unheard of. And some of these people would have never seen that many people in one place in their entire life. And I forget about that because when we say, oh, a small town, we're thinking a few thousand. No, these are small, small villages. So he is surrounded by people. And he's like, I need a break. Let's, let's, get on the, let's get on the boat and go to the other side. And maybe it'll take everybody a while to get there. And he can have uh, a few mem- uh, minutes uh, of peace. And as they sailed, he fell asleep. Jesus is human. And I know this because he's tired. He fell asleep. He needs a break. He's, he's not a ghost I know a lot of, of people will say, the well, Jesus, you could see him, but he was really spirit. And they take away from his humanity, which has significance in what is going to happen later. 
He was tired and he slept through a storm. Now, the word that's in the Greek refers to a whirlwind. And, and I, I looked into some of what, what's going on in, the, in, in Galilee. Well, there's hills and mountains around the, uh, the Sea of Galilee. And apparently what can happen is that the waters can be just calm and, and still. And the next minute, the weather will roll in over the mountains. And, and the wind will come from multiple directions and create this kind of whirlwind uh, uh, scenario. And... Again, I don't know a lot about sailing, but my guess is that will complicate things a little bit. But he's asleep. He's sleeping through a storm. And some people might read this and say, there is no way Jesus slept through this storm. This cannot be true. Well, I have proof that this is true. A few years back, my family and I would go up to Brown City Camp every year, and it's this family church camp, and and I just love it. And Jill's parents have a little cabin out there that can't quite fit all of us, so when we go up there, Jill's parents sleep in the cabin with the children, and Jill and I will set up a tent or something. And we had gotten up there late, and I was feeling really lazy, so we put all the seats down in the van because it's a stow-and-go, and we put our sleeping bags out there and, and you know, went to sleep, and, and there was a huge, huge storm that night. I mean, the storm of storms. Trees were knocked down, it rained, it thundered. And then at one point, the lightning and the thunder were at the same time because lightning struck our cabin. It struck the cabin and there's the huge boom. And, and I would like to tell you that I am calm, cool, and collective, but I'm pretty sure, because my wife made fun of me after that I shrieked uh, like a girl... I told her it probably sounded more like, ah, but I, 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 don't think that was, I don't think that was the case. And so everybody's up, and everybody's everybody okay. And, and the, it, it actually it blew out all the, the breakers in the cabin. It actually, every battery in the cabin was toast. It had destroyed every battery. It, it fused one of the light switches together i mean it was it was legit and daniel my little son slept through the whole thing he woke up and did not know that there was a storm that night what there was a storm i mean he was not laying far from the electric box and he didn't even know so you can be so tired that you can sleep through anything. Jesus was fully human. Now you think about the disciples and what's going on. Nowadays, I think if you go out and you're you're boating on the on the lake, there's lights along the shore and and you know, because you can see the houses and and even in Holly, even when it's dark. There's a kind of a glow you can from the next city over in the sky. So it's never completely pitch black. These guys are on the, on the sea, and it's dark. And it's dark, dark. And a storm is coming, and it's blowing them around. And my guess is they may not even know which way they're going. They may have been getting spun around. And I think about how terrified they must have been. And you know how terrifying things can get in the dark. 
something that is seemingly harmless, you're in the dark and you're unsure and you don't know and you, you become scared. I remember when I was a freshman in high school, if you wanted to do anything, you had to have an upperclassman who, was, who would cart you around because you didn't have a license yet. And there was this upperclassman who I did not like at all, but he could drive and he had a car. So we were going to the drive-in movie and he had this old Bronco and we, it was about a half hour to get there. And I was sitting in the front seat, uh, in the passenger seat, and we're driving and it's evening, it's dark. And he goes, hey, you want to see something fun? We're going about 55 down the road. And he flicks the headlights off. <laughs> and he clicks them right back on. Ha, 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 that was fun. <laughs> and he does it again. And this time he's, whoa, whoa, he decides to be funny, right? And at this point, I am, I mean, I'm terrified. You've got to stop there. What are you doing? I mean, I was freaking out at this guy. And he just, <laughs> it was like I was driving with the Joker or something. <laughs> and he kept doing that. And, and I was terrified. And up until that point, I had never been so terrified in my life. I'm like, I'm going to die tonight. I really, I really felt that. I felt I'm, I'm, di- I'm dead tonight because this idiot is going to kill me in this car. And at that point, I might have done just about anything to get out of that uh, situation. Goes on in verse 24 and says, And they went and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. Which, the way we would say it is, We're all going to die! That's, I mean, that's what's going on here. We don't say, We are perishing. We, oh, we're going to die. We're going to die. They're terrified. These are seasoned fishermen. They have probably spent more time in boats than on land. And they are terrified. And my second point is, not only is Jesus fully human, but Jesus is also fully God. It says, and he awoke. And rebuked the wind and the raging waves, and they ceased, and there was calm. Now, I can't imagine that, because when the storm goes by, it takes a while, right, for things to calm down? No. He spoke. Rebuked the wind. And I almost picture Jesus, obviously this is not in here, I almost picture him just getting up and going, Hey, wind, knock it off. Like it was the easiest thing for him to do. So, what we see in this little story is this microcosm of who Jesus is. And the big theological phrase that we use for this is hypostatic union, which is something they argued about, you know, thousands of years ago. Maybe not thousands, close. At the, at the, at the Council of Chalcedon, where they decided that Jesus, he's two natures, he's God, he's man, in one person. Fully God, fully man. And how do we know he's fully God? It's because he has power over creation. He has power over creation because he's the creator. And if we jump over to, to John in, in, in chapter 1, verse 3, it says that all things were made through 
him, that is Jesus. All things were made through him. And he exercises his power over creation in this story. I always think that if I had power over creation, I would be like, grass, be mowed. And, you know, leaves, be picked up. That's, I have a very narrow scope. He has power over creation. In Psalm, we see uh, the writer in Psalms, he says, He made the storm be still and the waves of the sea were hushed. This is written hundreds of years before Jesus walked the face of the earth. In Psalm 65, it says, Who stills the roaring of the seas, the roaring, the roaring waves? And so I imagine some of these disciples knew enough scripture that they would have seen these psalms and had these psalms in the back of their mind and go, oh my gosh, this this is not just any ordinary man. Because the psalms speak of him having power over the wind and the waves. And what we see in the book of Luke, what we've already begun to see and what you're going to continue to see over and over again is that Jesus has authority as the Son of Man, which he's referred to in this book as the Son of Man, which if you go back to the genealogy passage, is there, when they call him Son of Man, they are aligning him with, with Adam, who is also, uh, they call him the Son of Man, but they're aligning him with Adam, which uh, the book of Romans really delves into that concept, which we don't have time uh, this morning to get into. But Jesus has authority over demons, over disease, over nature, over the effects of sin, over the traditions of the people. He has authority. And we're going to see him time and time again as we go through the book of Luke, exercising that authority to the dismay of many in authority. So now I want to look at the disciples. The disciples, I think at the same time, have the right reaction and the wrong reaction. I think it is right for them, and they turn to Jesus. And isn't that what we, we have been taught and what the Scriptures teach us? When we are in trouble, when we are in trial and tribulation, we need to uh, turn to Jesus. Maybe the problem there is that usually we tr- exhaust every other avenue of rescue that we have before we turn to Jesus, and then we turn to him in final desperation rather than going to him first. Jesus, in this passage, he he rebukes them. He says, where is your faith? And I don't know what the right scenario was for the disciples. Should they have woken Jesus sooner? Said, hey, uh, we got a problem here. Should they have waited? I don't know. But so often I think we exhaust every possibility, every human effort before we turn to Jesus. When if we truly have faith, and this is me, we would go to him first. And I struggle with that. Uh, I have a little plaque that my kids got me. Um, Number one dad, he can fix anything. You know, I... 
it's not true, but I'd like to th- think it is. Um, and then issues of faith, I think I often try to fix them on my own rather than turning to Jesus. Let me read what they said. So he says, said to them, where is your faith? And they were afraid. And, and maybe for us, a better word there would be, and they were amazed or they marveled or they were in awe because it says, and they, and they marveled saying to one another, who then is this that he commands even winds and water and they obey him? Who then is this? They are beginning to get a picture of who they are or of who Jesus is. They have been called. Jesus was a, a rabbi and he, and he went to them and called them and said, come follow me, which was a great honor to be called by a rabbi in this day. And these guys, most of the people that he called were not on the, uh, the rabbinical track. They were not moving on in their education. They had been sent back uh, to learn the trade of their fathers. And what a great honor it was to be called uh, by this rabbi. And we read this and just assume that they understood everything about him. One of the things I love about the Gospel of Mark is throughout the book of Mark, you see that they kind of get Jesus, but there's a blindness. And they don't quite understand who he is. And I think you see that here in the book of Luke. They're still not quite sure who this guy is. They've seen him do some miraculous things, which that's happened. Other people in the scriptures have done that. Uh, Elijah is the one that, that comes to mind who, who maybe embodies Jesus the most in the Old Testament as far as the things uh, that he did. They recognize his teaching as being the greatest teaching they have ever heard, but they have not yet understood who he is, that he is fully God, he is fully man. And I think you and I go to church. This is all I've ever known. I've gone to church since I was a kid. And, you know, if, if I wasn't puking, Dad was putting me in the car to, to go to church. And, and if it was a huge snow day, then it was just an adventure to go to church. But that, that's, that's all I know. And I think there's a part of me that goes to church because that's all I know. And maybe a lot of you are, are in that boat too. We, we go to church because that, that's what we do. And we hear about Jesus who has some fine teachings and we try to live our, our life right. But if these two things are true, if he is fully God and he is fully man, then where is my faith? If he is God, and if we really, really believe it, then the things that Jesus has said to us in the word matter for us today. And I think I pay lip service to that. But as I live my life day to day, they don't always matter that much in the practice of my life, and I set aside his teaching, and I set aside 
the calling that he has on my life. The, the, I set aside the, the abundant life that Jesus has called me to. Because I think my faith that he is truly God, I sometimes set aside. And if he's God, if he really is all that he says he is, then the things he does and the things he says and the word that we have matters more than anything. And if he is man, if he is human, that means that what he went through on the cross, the suffering is more real and more painful than anything I can imagine. That he truly died. And this is why it's so important that he's human. Because if he's only God, he can't die. He has to be human. For him to die in our place. That means that his death and his resurrection matter. And they are real events that are confirmed in other literature besides the Bible. And they happened. And everyone on the planet has to deal with that, has to face that, and has to accept it, dismiss it, or reject it. But God is so gracious. As we, as we move into our, our time of communion... We think about what he did for us. I look in Philippians 2. Because God knew that we would not be able to grasp or understand what his plan was, which is why he sent us Jesus. And in Philippians 2 it says, Jesus, who existed in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something To be used for his own advantage, equality with God. He is God. Instead, he, that is Jesus, emptied himself by assuming the form of a slave, taking on the likeness of men. And when he had come as a man in his external form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And this whole, this whole passage is describing to us what true humility is. This is the greatest act of humility in all of history because the God of the universe set aside his rightful place of honor and authority and dominion and set aside his powers and submitted himself to the most painful death that humans have come up with. But then it says, For this reason God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow of those who are in earth, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus is fully human. And Jesus is fully God. And if those things are true, 
then you and I need to decide what to do with that truth. We need to either follow him wholeheartedly or dismiss it completely. And I believe this morning that God is calling us to follow him wholeheartedly, to recognize who he is. He has been revealed to us. We know who he is. What are we going to do about it? Is that going to change how we live? Is that going to change how we think? Is that going to change how we watch the news? Is that going to change how we interact with each other? Jesus is fully God and fully man. Who then is this? Who then is Jesus to you right now, this morning? Let's pray. Lord, even as we we pray to you, it is an act of, of faith that you hear us and that you care. And we believe that this morning. Lord, I pray now that as we focus on your work here on this planet, that you would touch our hearts in a way that you haven't before. And that you would impress upon us the gravity of what you did and the joy that we should have because we can partake in the gift of eternal life because of what you did. In your name we pray. Amen.